Okay, so uh, one of the things that's cool about high school is that you have mandatory PE, <laughs> and and that means in some way, shape, or form, you're 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 being healthy, or you're doing healthy type things. Um, if you try to get healthy today and you're not in, in high school, uh, you have to go to the internet. And the internet has a lot of opinions about the right way to be healthy. Uh, when I was trying to get in shape last year, still trying to get in shape, but when I was trying to get in shape, I was trying to figure out who to listen to. And there's a lot of competing voices like, oh, paleo, you're supposed to only eat certain kinds of foods at certain times. Or if you're a CrossFitter, you're supposed to be uh, you're supposed to do only functional kind of training or if you're a Mediterranean you want to live to 130 years old You have to eat the Mediterranean diet because they live to be super old and their longevity and all that stuff uh, It's really complicated to figure out how to be healthy today uh, Unless someone's forcing you and they're saying this is the only way to do it. You're part of our high school You're gonna do our PE program. You're gonna do the things that we say to do um, And it's not too different from how the church operates in that we have a program that's specified to us by Christ himself that says if you're going to be a strong spiritual body, you have to pursue it the way that I tell you to pursue it and not uh, following the voices of everyone else in the world. So what that means for you specifically then is that you have to know that if you want to experience the kind of youth ministry that's united, regardless of your age, sex, ethnicity, or anything else like that, there's only one way. And I kind of jokingly said it's, it's, it's CrossFit, right? It, CrossFit, get it? Okay, cross. Okay, uh, totally lame, but uh, there's only one way to pursue unity in the body of Christ. And that unity in the body of Christ, uh, again, whether you're male or female, uh, black, white, Hispanic, or you know, whether you're tall or short or anything else in between, there's only one way that we can pursue unity in the body of Christ. The only one way to, to work out is by pursuing it the way that Jesus says. And the way that it's done is by emulating, this is important here, the way that we find unity as a church is by emulating the unity of God himself. Now think about this for a second. God is three what? Good job. God is three persons and he is one what? Yes, one God, one being or one essence. STM Utahers, you guys should know this at the, like the back of your hand here. Uh, in other words, uh, God himself is a tri-person unity. A triunity, a trinity. And, and it's because God is diverse in his person and yet united in his being. The same thing is true about the church. We're to be diverse in our personhood, diverse in male and female, diverse in our, our ethnicities, but united in our body, united in the body of Christ. So if we're going to have a strong, united spiritual body, you're going to do it the way God says, and it's not easy. The workout that he prescribes to Christians is very hard. It takes a lot of effort. And so we started last week by saying, look, if we're going to pursue uh, clean gains, if we're going to do it the way God wants us to do it, uh, that means we have to look at what Christ has done for us on the cross. He, he united us by his blood. And now Paul's going to continue in Ephesians chapter 4 to tell us how to pursue that unity and he's going to look at the Godhead. He's going to look at the Father, the Son, and the Spirit to say, look, when you look at all three of these persons in the united Godhead, you're going to see a much better way for you to pursue unity in the body of Christ. So look, look with me at Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 4. We're only going to look at the first, uh, the first sentence. Really, it's not even a whole sentence. We're going to look at the first, the first line in Ephesians 4, verse 4. Okay, you guys ready? Ephesians 4, verse 4. It says this, there is one body and one spirit. There's one body and one spirit. That's all we're going to look at for this first point. 
Paul says, look, if you guys want to be united, you want to enjoy a ministry where everybody knows everybody and everyone's friends and everyone likes each other and there's a sense of commonality between you. He says, look, the first thing you have to know is that you are one body united by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the eternal Spirit from God Himself. It is God's Spirit who has chosen people like you guys here to be His body. Spirit has decided to love people like you and I all over this youth ministry here. Point number one, if we're going to be a united body and we're going to do it the way God wants us to do it, I'm going to put it like this. You need to love who the Spirit loves. Love who the Spirit loves. Spirit has chosen to love all kinds of people here. Different, again, ages, races, ethnicities, different heights and lengths and different athletic abilities, different intellectual abilities. We should love who He loves. And that means we're going to love each other the way that He wants us to love Him. I used to be a skater when I was in high school, and I was really, really super good. Like, hum humbly, I could say that I was really stinking good. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, anyway, but I went to Venice Beach when they still had the skate pits there, and I got to meet my, one of my skating legends, my idols at that point, and his name was Chad Muska. Uh, I got to skate with him. I got to skate with Chad Muska. At that point, again, one of the coolest guys I could possibly know. Got to know him a little bit, just briefly. But uh, at that point in time, like, I, I wanted to skate what he skated. I wanted to skate where he skated. I wanted to wear the shoes that he put out. I wanted to skate the kind of board that he would put out. I mean, he had clothing. And he had, you know, at the point when I was skating, he had everything going on. And because I loved this guy, I wanted to wear his shoes. I wanted to skate his board. I wanted to, even the size of his board. Like, he had a much thicker board than I did, a much wider board. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to try it. If that works for him, I'm going to do the same thing. And that's what happens. When you love somebody, uh, when you idolize somebody, you want to be like them to the point of like everything they do, I want to do that. If, they, if they're uh, wearing their hair a certain way, I'm going to wear my, my hair a certain way. If they're wearing certain shoes, I'm going to wear those shoes. God designed us to work that way. We're, we are imitators. And that's by God's design. Except the primary imitation God wants for you is not for people necessarily. He wants you to imitate himself. So if we're to think about this and realize that we're to love who the Spirit loves and we're following God's leadership, that means we should really uh, love people that God loves. And, and here's why. The first reason why we should love people that the Spirit loves is because the Spirit himself indwells Christians. This is God's Spirit that indwells Christians. This is a crazy thought. If you call yourself a Christian, and I think a lot of you guys in, in this group would, if you call yourself a Christian, here's what the, the Christian faith teaches about you. You present tense singular, right now, you present tense singular person, you have the eternal God of heaven and of earth dwelling in your person somehow. That's, that's a bizarre thought. You guys think about it. You have the eternal God of heaven and earth, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the God who created everything is somehow mysteriously dwelling in you. Do you ever think about that? That's weird. That's crazy. And what an incredible honor that would be, right? If the president of the United States said, look, son or daughter, whether or not you like him, that's not the point. The president came to you and said, look, uh, here is my dog spot. I want you to take care of my dog spot because I trust you more than anyone else in the world. No matter what you think about the president, you might say, well, that's amazing. I'm going to take extra care and precaution to take care of spot and make sure I walk him and feed him and don't accidentally kill him. I'm going to do everything I can to protect this because... I'm honored that the, the POTUS would, uh, would take care of me, or would consider me to take care of his dog. God says, look, not only am I going to make you my own, I'm going to deposit my spirit within you in, in a mysterious way that keeps you, sustains you, and secures you. So here's, here's the principle on this, guys. Look, if you have Christians in your group, 
people that call themselves Christians, and assuming that they are, that means when you talk about them, or when you fight with them, or when you have issues with them, you have to be very careful not to say something untrue about them, not to unnecessarily offend them, to go back to last week, because they are uh, not only fellow image bearers, but also people the Spirit has chosen to love. Don't offend God by talking bad about His kids. Don't offend God by talking bad about His kids. Look, if the Spirit indwells Christians, that means you should be super careful not to say bad things about Christians. Am I saying that Christians are perfect? Let's, let's be, okay, let's just put it all on the table, guys. Christians are not perfect. You know that. I know that. We know that. We're all very imperfect people. However, because the Spirit of God indwells us, and He's the one who's made us one body, uh, given us one spirit, we have to be very careful when we talk bad about people. When we're talking about, well, I don't like so-and-so, he's such a jerk, he's so selfish or inconsiderate, or, you know, he was doing this and he really offended me because he's such a whatever. Like, those are the kind of things we have to be super careful with, guys. It's one thing to talk about evil and sin, and I'm not saying we can't talk about that. What I am saying is that as Christians, if you are a Christian, you ought to be very careful about what you say about fellow image bearers and spirit indwellers. Spirit indwells Christians, and we ought to respect that. We should love who the Spirit loves also because the Spirit is who makes us family. Spirit makes us family. Uh, here's another interesting thought. Not only does the Spirit of God indwell you, if you are in Christ, here's what's also true about you. You are a son and daughter of God. You have been made family by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is called the seal of God. He is the guarantee of your inheritance. And when the Spirit of God uh, is connected to your life, you are adopted into God's family. And in a very real sense, as I've said before, uh, spirit is thicker than blood. In fact, if, you, if your mom or dad are Christians and you're a Christian, you guys have a bond that is far deeper than just a family bond. You have a bond that is eternal, that is given to you by the Spirit. You are now sons and daughters of the King. Here's what Romans 8, 14 and 15 says. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You've received the spirit of adoption. If you are a Christian, in fact, just for the sake, if you profess Christ as, as, a, as a young person, if you profess Christ as your Savior, look, realize that you are, you are related to every other Christian here. You are related to them in a real, tangible sense. It's by the Spirit of God, but you are related. Now, I used to think when I, I have a bunch of step-siblings. You guys, anyone step-siblings? You got step-family? It's a bit weird on the front end. You know, you got to get to know them. And you, But now that I've had my step-siblings for a long time, like, I love them. And I don't think of them as half. I don't think of them as, like, oh, I got to love you. I'm supposed to. I think, okay, I love them. I pray for them. I pray for them. Can't choose your step-siblings. Um, can't choose your brother or sister. I know some of you might have wanted to, but you can't trade your brother or sister. They're yours forever. That's going to stay that way. Praise God, anybody? No, no praise God? Okay. Uh, they're yours. Uh, you can't trade that. And the same thing is true with Christians, but even worse or better, depending on how you look at it. Christians, you are always going to be brothers and sisters of God forever. Forever. There's never an end to the family bond of Christians. You will always be uh, together because you have all been, all of us, if you're a Christian, you've been spiritually adopted by God. Who's your favorite family member? Mom, dad, brother, Pastor Rod? Whoever your fam favorite family member is, um, 
that kind of affection for those people, you need to develop for other Christians whom you may not be as excited about. We'll talk more about that. Love who the Spirit loves. Here's the, here's the warning for you, okay? The warning comes out of 1 John 2, 10 and 11. Here's the warning. Write this down. 1 John 2, 10 and 11. To not love who the Spirit loves, to not love who the Spirit loves, is evidence that you probably don't know the love of God. Okay? To not love other Christians either means, A, you are being selfish and you need to repent of that selfishness, or B, you don't know God's love in the first place. Because if you've been loved by God, to love other Christians is a joy. It's an exciting thing to do. Here's what 1 John 2, 10 and 11 says. Getting attacked by someone up here. 1 John 2, 10 and 11. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. There's a type of person who has no ability to love his brothers or sisters because he doesn't know the love of God first, which is why Scripture says we love because why? He first loved us. So if you're struggling to love people that God has put in your life, either A, you're incredibly selfish and need to repent of that, or B, you've never been truly converted because you don't know the love of God that has loved you, a wicked, slothful sinner. I like the way BTS says it. I'm so sick of this fake of love. <laughs> There's fake love and, and no one likes that. Christians ought to be known for a genuine, real, deep, lasting love. Okay, Ephesians 4, 4 and 5 now. Let's read those two verses together. Ephesians 4, 4 and 5. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. And he talks about that one hope being uh, that, that comes from one Lord. It's one faith and one baptism. We are all called to be part of that one hope, that one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So essentially, Paul says, look, you have been brought into one body by the spirit and you've been called into a faith in one Lord that unites all of us. It is our faith in Christ that unites us in a way that, that takes that bond deeper. Here's what I'm asking you to do, and here's why this is important. High schooler, look, I, I know that it's really hard to love fellow high school students because you're immature, you can be very ungodly, you can be very selfish, you can be very hurtful unintentionally, but still nonetheless, you can say things that are very hurtful, you can be insensitive, you can say, you can, you're, just, you're learning, right? You're learning to grow. What is your confidence then when I'm telling you guys, look, love each other, care for each other, invest in each other. How do, how, what certain protections do you have? Well, how do we do that? Well, you do that by putting your hope in the one Lord. You're putting your hope in the one Lord. So here's essentially this. Love who the Spirit loves. Point number two, trust Jesus to protect you. Trust Jesus to protect you. You're hoping in him. You're not trusting in your neighbor. You're not trusting even in yourself. You're trusting in Jesus to protect you as you choose to love the one body that God has called you to love. I had some very foggy memories when I was a young man. And one of those foggy memories is when my dad, <laughs> this is going to sound, this is a true story. True story. Foggy memory, but true story. Uh, my dad was running from the cops. And so, <laughs> true story. I was young enough to remember that he, he scooped me in his arm, picked me up, and just started running with me on, like, the side of his body. Now, my dad is prison strong, so if you knew him, you would not think twice about that. He was, he's a strong dude, prison strong. Picked me up and ran. Now, I was old enough to realize 
this isn't a good situation. <laughs> Shouldn't be running from the cops, I think. But at the same time, oddly enough, even though we were running from the cops, I, I, I still felt, I still felt this trust that my dad would protect me, and that even though this is a weird situation, I'm not sure why we're running, that he would just as soon give up his life to protect mine. Even in this dangerous situation, I, I knew that I could trust my dad. Guys, it's very dangerous to love people. Very dangerous to even be real with your bros. Young men, I know this maybe sounds a little more touchy-feely than you're used to, um, but to genuinely love your brothers in Christ will cost you something. Genuine relationships mean that you have to be vulnerable. It means you have to be willing to, to, be, to be hurt. And the only way that you're going to do that is if you trust Jesus to protect you. You can get hurt, rejected, burned, but you can trust even in that. Jesus has got your back. Why? Well, Jesus is our only hope. Uh, that's why what Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 4, like you were, just, you were called to one hope. Um, here's the reality, guys. If you're going to follow Jesus, and I, and I really do hope that every single one of you does, uh, that is not going to protect you from danger. In fact, it's going to expose you to more danger. You follow Jesus, it's going to cost you friendships, it's going to cost you jobs. It may cost you even more now as our culture continues to work in a different direction. Uh, but he, here's what your ultimate goal is with Christ. It's to trust Him for your salvation in the next life and even to get you through this life, no matter what that might mean. Jesus promises to lead you through it. And Jesus promises that He will be your hope. He will be your protection. He will care for you, even when other people burn you and betray you. And in fact, Scripture says, if you're a Christian, the people that you know closest, uh, the people that you're most close to, father, brother, sister, mother, all those people, at some point will betray you or can betray you because of your love for Christ. Therefore, your hope when you are in relationship with people is not that they will necessarily reciprocate. Not necessarily. They may not. Or they might reciprocate for a little bit and then turn their back on you and betray you. Jesus doesn't say, look, if, they, if your friends betray you, then you can betray them back. If your friends talk behind your back, then you can be a jerk. Jesus says, no, follow me. Trust me. I will be your protection. I am your hope. I am your sustainer. I am your maker. I'm the one you were made for. I want you to love your friends. I want you to love your brothers and sisters here that are in Christ. I want you to love them crazily. But I don't want you to trust them more than you trust Jesus. Your friends will hurt you. Your friends will let you down. Trust Jesus, and that's going to help you love the unlovable. I've had conversations with some of you guys that you have friends that aren't super friendly. You feel like you're the one pouring yourself out. You're the one who's constantly giving, 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 and no one's giving back to you. Like, I'm calling on people, I'm checking on them, I'm doing everything a Christian's supposed to do, and my friends don't do anything for me. They seem to take me for granted. They're not, they're not loving me back. How am I supposed to respond to that? Let me start by answering this. If Jesus is our only hope, okay, if Jesus is our only hope, that means you can love others without demanding a return. Okay, if Jesus is your only hope, you can love others without demanding a return. You would like it, you would hope for it, you would pray for it, but if Jesus is your hope, if you're filling your bucket with Jesus as the one who's giving you life, you can pour yourself out over and over again. If Christ is filling your cup, that gives you the resources to love others freely, generously, and without, uh, without return, if necessary. Jesus said to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, look, when you're weak, I am strong. My grace is sufficient for you. 
even when your friends are jerks, even when your friends betray you. Love them anyway, Jesus would say. We trust Jesus to protect us because he's our only hope. We trust Jesus to protect us also because he is our example. Jesus himself established the one faith. He established one baptism, and he himself is our one Lord. And he showed us in his word what it looks like to live by faith and not by sight. Jesus loved the unlovable. He touched lepers. He healed lepers. He trusted his Father to the very end. Now, here's the thing. Let's get real for a second. Some people are hard to forgive because they sin a lot against you. But, pause for dramatic effect here, Christ forgave you and me. Okay, now just for, just for yucks here, how many times has Christ forgiven you of sin? Two, three times maybe? Two, three times in the last second perhaps? <laughs> you know, billions and billions. Christ forgave you billions of times over. I'm asking you to forgive your brothers and sisters as many times as Christ has forgiven you. Doesn't mean you have to do the same things and be as vulnerable in the same ways. I'm just saying, look, the, the basic posture of the Christian is to follow Christ. Uh, some people are hard to forgive, but Christ forgave you. Some people are really hard to love, right? A amen to that. Some people are hard to love. Yet, Christ loved you. If Christ could love you, can you love your brothers and sisters, even if they're hard to love? You might say, well, Pastor Rod, the people that I, I need to love are incredibly inconsiderate, mean, and selfish. I don't like them. They're so hard, and, and I don't trust them. Christ washed Judas's feet the same night that Judas would betray him. I'm not saying that you have to put yourself in the hands of betrayers all the time. What I am saying is that Christ sets a high standard for the way that we're to love one another. You're going to be sinned against. You're going to need to exercise forgiveness. You're going to need to endure. And you're going to have to realize that when you sin against the other person, that you're going to need them to forgive you just the same. When it's hard to love somebody, think about all that Christ did for you and follow in his footsteps. Now, let me make just a, a small application here. I'm nervous about this one. Our contemporary shared culture is in a moment of hypersensitivity. Do you agree with me on that? Culture is hypersensitive about a lot of things right now. One of those things that we're very sensitive about as a culture, we, I'm putting all of us in this, is race and ethnicity, right? Uh, race, racial jokes, ethnic jokes are, are big no-no. They're taboo right now. So here's at least one application. If we're going to trust Christ to protect us and tr trust Christ to be the one who leads us in our relationships, that here, here's at least one small thought about that. Um, kind of bouncing off of last week. Look, we don't want to be unnecessarily offensive, which means when it comes to things relating to race or anything that is controversial in our culture, Christians ought to be very sensitive to the sensitivities of others. Okay, young person, I'm going to ask a lot from you here. If you're a Christian, I want you to be sensitive to the sensitivities of others. I'm not saying you have to change your whole world, and I'm not saying that you can't talk about certain things. I'm just saying, look, uh, if, if there's people around you 
that are a different color than you, be very, very careful not to say something that would unnecessarily offend them. And, and here's the thing, as I say this to you, I, I'm well aware that I like to make jokes about my own ethnicity. I like to say funny things about my people. And I, I really don't have a problem with that. But here's the thing, I never want to say something that will unnecessarily offend you or be a cause for someone not to hear when I share the gospel because they think that we're bigoted or racist or that we don't think that there's a problem. Look, if Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8, look, if, if I never have to eat meat again in order to, to help people hear the gospel, then so be it. No more in and out, no more double doubles. That's, that's a big thing. <laughs> um, not calling you not to eat double doubles, but I am calling you to say, look, be sensitive to other people's sensitivities. Just because we as Christians can say, look, we, we disagree with the cultural narrative. We disagree with how people are understanding this. And I'm, I'm with you on that. You know that. But what I am saying is we ought to be sensitive enough to the sensitivities of others that we don't want to put a stumbling block in anyone's way to hear our gospel. Far more important that they hear our gospel than they hear our, our jokes. Amen? Be sensitive to the sensitivities of others. Let me add one more thing to that. I need you also to, if we're going to have a truly united body, okay? If we're going to have a truly united body and we're trusting Jesus to lead us, we need to be ready to say, look, I know that I might believe things differently than how you believe. And the answer is not who believes more than the other. The answer is what does Scripture say? And are we willing to listen to each other as we try to discern what Scripture is directing us on that? There are some real cultural conversations happening right now, even within the church, about how the church should respond to all these things that we've already talked about. Young person, you will do well to heed Proverbs 18.13. Okay, Proverbs 18.13 says this. If one answer, answers before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Be a really good listener. I'm not saying you have to buy everything the culture is selling, but be a really, really good listener. And then, as you're able to, make a defense for what you believe Scripture teaches. Be compassionate, say the things that you need to say, but do it with sensitivity and sensibility for people that are listening to you and watching your life closely. That's one way we can trust Jesus. Okay, last, last up, verse, verse 6. Okay, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And, verse 6, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, and in all. Paul puts an exclamation point. So you saw the Spirit in the first verse. You saw Jesus in the second part here. And now you're looking at the Father in verse 6. And, and, and Paul says, look, there, the Father God is over everyone. He's in control. He's in charge. Really, essentially, look to God's sovereign rulership and trust that. Point number three, rely on God's sovereignty. When we're interacting with one another and we're trying to build relationships and get to know each other better, one of the things we have to trust is God's sovereignty, God's gracious protection and provision, and his rulership over all of us. Three subpoints: if, if relying on God's sovereignty, it first means to realize God is perfectly in control. Okay? God is perfectly in control. That's what he, what he means when he says God is over all. He, he is the one who unites the body. He's the one uh, through whom all of us exist. Essentially, we're all on the same team. Better said, better said, we're all children of the same Father. When, when people hurt you or when you hurt people, recognize God knows He's in control of those events. God is perfectly in control. He is one God and Father who is over all. God is orchestrating your relationships. Think about this. Okay. The most painful relationship you have 
the most painful relationship that you have, God put there. You feel that? That's God's sovereignty. The, the biggest mistake that you've made in your relationships, the most terrifying, shame-filled mistake that you've made, or the way that you've sinned against people, God orchestrated that. Therefore, God has it there in your life for a purpose. He's in control. Your relationships are God's doing. The relationships in your life are there by God's choosing. For better and for worse, young person, for better and for worse. If you have great friends, praise God for that. If you have friends that you wish you could exchange for a better friend, that's God's, that's God's rulership too. He's in control of all those friendships. People hurt you know that God knows. God is perfectly in control. Also, God is always at work. He is through all. He is through all. God is through all. He is the one who saves everyone. He's the one who's orchestrating everyone. God is actively working in your relational drama and harmony. When you have your breakup in True North, when that happens, kind of expect it. You guys are going to date each other if your parents allow you. And if your parents do allow you to date each other, you're going to probably go through a breakup. Expect that. God determined that. Your, your breakup and your makeup, or maybe your, your get-together in the first place and then your breakup after the, after the fact, is God's orchestration. God's working in and through this, this situation. Here, here's the response then. Someone said it this way, and I like it. Okay, you ready for this? Um, experience is not the best teacher. Listen to me. Experience is not the best teacher. Evaluated experience is the best teacher. Look, you, you're going to have a million different experiences in high school life. You get to choose whether or not you're going to grow. You get to choose. You can choose to be in perpetual adolescence and immaturity, or you can choose to say, okay, I, I want to learn from this situation. You get to choose this young person. God is working, at, um, always at work in your relationships. Your job is to choose to learn from those things. In high school, uh, I, in high school, I, I made a black joke to a gal who was black, and I, it, was, it was a really funny joke. I was laughing really hard. Um, you know who wasn't laughing, though? The black gal. I tried to brush it off and just pretend like it was cool. Um, she didn't want to brush it off. So uh, at the end of that class period, I, I, between my, tail between my legs, I went up and said, hey, I'm, did I offend you? I'm so sorry. I don't think I've made a black joke since. Like, I mean, it was a really painful experience. And at that point, this is way before BLM and everything else. I, things were different then. But I learned that some people are far more sensitive to things than I ever realized. So it's better to be wise and not to say anything, even if I'm sacrificing a joke out of it. Uh, God's at work. Learn from your experience. Trust that God has a, a purpose for you in these experiences. Okay, last thing here. God is overall, through all, and lastly, he is in all. And this means God saves even the worst of people. God saved even you, young person. God saved even me. God saves all kinds of people who now make up the body of Christ. Therefore, God is perfectly in control, God is always at work, and no one is impossible. No single person in this ministry is impossible. I've had the privilege of seeing young people like yourselves go from antagonistic haters of Christ, running Instagram accounts that are contrary to our ministry and to the Lord that we serve, into being repentant and humble people who love Jesus Christ. I've seen God change people's lives, and that means no one is impossible, God's always at work. Don't give up on people. Don't give up on each, on each other. Pray for each other. Pursue them like Jesus has pursued you.
I really hope in this summer, guys, as we prepare to break up into small groups, that you get to know each other in genuine ways. I don't want you to play church. I don't want you to pretend to be a Christian just to get along, to go along. I want you to genuinely challenge yourself to learn to love the people around you, which is why we're mixing up small groups. We're not just doing this to torture you. <laughs> we're doing it in the hopes that you get to know each other, get to love one another, and begin summer as a strengthened core of hopefully brothers and sisters who love the Lord and love each other. If you want to get through high school ministry, well, not just high school ministry, if you want to get through high school, the way that you do that is by forging bonds of love, brotherhood, and sisterhood. This is the secret sauce to your life thriving in Christ and even thriving in high school, period. You need people. God designed you for this. Thank <music> you.